All right, Internet, welcome to Meteor Station's virtual reality podcast number 13. We are in it. We're in January of 2021. We have survived in a more literal sense than usual. We've survived 2020, and here we are hanging out on the Meteor. Happy to be Mm -hmm. joined here by Gruen. How's it going today, Gruen? Good. I never left. I've been on the Meteor all year. That's how I stayed safe. This is probably a good little quarantine spot, so good thinking yeah. over there. I'm pretty hungry, though. Fair. I, it looks like not a lot, unless you like rocks. But I guess should we kick off with a little bit of news before? We've got some decent amount of housekeeping today. Bookkeeping? House booking? Yeah. What news do you have for um, us? House, house booking is an Airbnb term. So, um, <laughs> yeah, news. I don't know. Uh, do you have any news? Or Well, yeah. Uh, so the president of HTC China hinted about some devices coming out in 2021 saying that it'll have the same level of excitement as the initial Vive. So I'm not sure if that does imply a headset or what, but I mean... Whatever it is, I'm excited about it because I'm on the initial vibe and I, I, I've not really seen enough a reason to pay out for a new thing yet because I really like it. So if he's got more hardware in the works that is that level of quality and excitement, I'm interested. So I'm curious what that will yeah. be. Well, and I saw that. I, I saw that it, it was a headset. So... And it's supposed to be next level, which is interesting. And the only other thing I saw on that was that they weren't sure they, the world wasn't sure if they were going to stay in the VR space, but obviously they are. So that's good news. Um, I, I did see, yeah, the, the only news I've been seeing is that people are watching movies in VR and that people are learning and taking classes. ASU is doing their biology this coming year in VR. I, I don't know if that's the only way they're doing it, but they're making a big push for that. Uh, so it's it's a lot of the same things that we just take for granted that you can watch movies and, and travel and things in VR. But to all these new people that are getting VR headsets, it's new to them. And that's great because that means there's more people in VR. Obviously, the Quest 2 is on back order for several weeks. So that's the same thing it's frustrating to some people but it's good news for vr yeah true words uh simulator fly simulators out it's 60 bucks to get 20 airplanes and it's 90 bucks to get 25 airplanes so i don't know if i'm going to spend 60 bucks i really want to i think i need to i haven't done it yet yeah, I, for one, so I imagine that the main use for this is you're just imagining one day the pilot's unconscious, he ate too much all-you-can-eat sushi, he's out, someone needs to fly this mm-hmm. plane, and I only really imagine one scenario, so I only need one plane. So is there a, is that in the pricing model, or do I have to get all it 20? No, it's not. <laughs> and then... Um, so I'm going to do the scenario. So the pilot's passed out, and then I come back into the cabin. You ready? And I say, oh, I'm ready. Uh, okay, uh, passengers, the pilot is passed out. Does anyone here play video games? 
<gasps> oh, that's me. That's where you were going to save the you world. Raise your hand. Yeah. 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 Okay. okay, sir. Could you come up front? Yeah. The other thing I saw was uh, Walmart is offering VR in their medical offices or whatever they have, which it's for physical therapy. They're doing VR and physical therapy. I didn't even know Walmart had anything except maybe those quick stop medical places, but they're doing physical therapy. I had no idea Walmart did that. Did you? No. <laughs> I, and yeah, that's a double surprise. So interesting. So they seem very supportive of VR. They're doing their training in VR and they're doing this. So anyway, I think it's all good for the yeah, that's, industry. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty solid news right there. Pretty cool. Yeah. I, I guess that moves us on to our own news. And so I'd mentioned this at the end of, or not the, the end of, but in the last podcast, but I knew Starloaf, which is a stop motion we made. It's a claymation. Uh, it got into the Amsterdam World International Film Festival, tongue twister of a name, but or not tongue twister, just long. But anyway, the uh, we won Best Animation in it. We didn't just get in. We got Best Animation. So, yeah, I'm pretty nice. hyped about it. So, But that kind of got us talking. Like, there's not really a way for you viewers to see our stuff as is you get to see our weekend post but all this really high quality content that you know it's now winning awards and all that getting into festivals uh we haven't been able to share it so we were talking about ways to get that out there and uh so for patreon supporters there will be access to all these videos so we've got starloaf in there uh which is the claymation I just mentioned, it's a goofy space adventure and we've got jelly. We've got a few episodes of that that will be available and in likely the month of January. No, I'll just commit to month of January. We'll have uh, something called Canyon Falls done, which will be full 8K 3D scary short. And Quite then scary. It's fun and uh that'll be done in january and available and then after that we'll have more coming out uh, i think the next in the pipeline after that would be over our heads which is a home improvement show so you know we've got pretty good little list of content growing so if you're interested check it out we don't you know you, it's like the price of renting a movie you can watch all our stuff so why not if you're interested yeah so yeah support us you're not you're not going out to dinner anyway, so you can support us yeah. to do more projects. Yeah, for a third of a burger, you can have a bunch nice. of good stuff to watch. So, yeah. Uh, good call on that. But in addition to that, we also set up a Meteor Station Twitch channel because we thought it'd be fun to be able to stream different variety of things. So we... Uh, did already record the guest segment, which we'll get to in a second. And we ran that live on Twitch just for fun. But in the future, we'll be hosting game shows there. We'll be sometimes modeling uh, in uh, uh, medium or, you know, just working on various things. So 
just a fun little place to stop by and say hi to us content creators if you're interested in that. So there you go. Any other bookkeeping, Gruen, or should we move on to chatting about our guest? I say we move on. We have today Jack Pottle. And Jack Pottle is the chief medical officer at Oxford Medical Simulation. And you'll you'll find out, I don't want to say too much, but really interesting stuff they're doing. It is not just teaching nurses and doctors how to perform procedures. It's more than that. But super, super <laughs> interesting guest. Yeah, let's go bring him in. Let's get him. And here he is. I'll stay slightly awkwardly standing in between you two. Perfect. That's the dream. That's really what we're trying to set up here. It's the Awkward Sandwich podcast. Yeah. Ideal. Ideal. I I am also perfectly suited for something slightly British and awkward. So that's perfect for me. Awesome. (laughs) Well, you're in the right place. So I guess we should just jump right into it. So we've got Jack Pottle from Oxford Medical Simulation here with us. And so if you would just like to tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, what Oxford Medical Simulation is, that'd be a great way to kick it off. No worries. Yeah, as I say, awesome to be here. So um, in terms of my background, so I started life doing educational psychology and then not knowing really what I was doing, I thought I'll get into nursing. And I worked as a as a nursing assistant up in Edinburgh for a couple of years. Um, and that's yeah, doing everything with patients that you'd normally do, you know, washing them, making sure they're comfortable, doing the kind of um, the, the ground level of, of medicine and healthcare. And while doing that, I saw doctors doing things and thought, you know what, what these doctors are doing doesn't necessarily look too tough. Let's see if I can go and do that. Um, and I ended up becoming a doctor. So going through medical school, becoming a doctor. And I've been uh, a doctor in acute and emergency medicine for the last seven years or so. And I've done that largely in, in the UK, but I've worked abroad. I've worked in Belize, in Thailand, in South Africa, and was working in all of these countries. I'm thinking, you know, the issues that we all have are pretty much the same, no matter where you are in the world, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a nurse, whatever country you're in. And it's that sense of becoming a doctor or nurse on the wards and essentially not knowing what you're doing. You know, medical school or nursing school doesn't prepare you for what you're doing. And I thought, how can we deliver better training to doctors and nurses around the world? And that was really the start of Oxford Medical Simulation. So the very short version, and I'm happy to explain this in more detail, is that essentially we deliver virtual reality training. So it's creating environments, really clinical experiences, you know, letting doctors and nurses go into these scenarios, see virtual patients, treat them, communicate with them, do everything you would with your virtual team. And we do single player and um, multiplayer scenarios, letting them basically practice with virtual patients. And if they if they screw up, if they make a mistake, that's absolutely fine because no one dies. And then right, they learn yeah. from that experience, they get feedback from it, and they go on to improve care in the long run. That is the very short version of what we do. Right. It makes and perfect and sense. Yeah, it really has jumped out to us as something that we've mentioned actually on this podcast a few times as something really intuitive for the industry because like even the parts that require resources like you know the cadaver parts and whatnot for example all those kind of things in particular just like limited resources or you can experience it all virtually like it's there 
they can relive the same virtual experience over and over till you feel like you get it. So it just kind of is really connected with us as something that makes sense. So it's cool that you're doing it. Yeah, and there, there are different ways of looking at this. You know, there's the kind of the educational side of things, as you said, doing anatomy, things with cadavers. That's a great use of VR, being able to scale that and say, actually, you don't need to be, you know, you don't need to have a human here in front of you anymore. You can actually do it in virtual reality, peel back the layers yourself, see different elements of anatomy and be able to learn over time. And as you say, doing it rep repetitively. But I think, you know, one of the big strengths that we've got in VR is that ability to give people a sense of stress, give people a sense of emotional engagement in a scenario. And so I worked before this for, for some time in kind of online learning. So I originally had an online platform called Oxford Medical Education. And this was about, you know, it was a website, it was video content, and we did some 360 degree videos. And that was great to get a sense of, okay, this is learning, democratizing access, you can get it to lots of people around the world. But it wasn't that sense of being there, that sense of genuinely presence, learning from experience and being able to go back in and repeat it over and over. And so that is, in a way, that's really what we are trying to do. It's not about delivering education. It's not about making sure people are better at passing exams. It's about saying, actually, we're just going to throw you in there. And we're going to throw you in there much earlier than you would ever have seen patients in the real world because it's okay to make a mistake here. And it's that sense yeah. of stress, that sense of building the emotional engagement, you know, getting, getting students to care about patients, even if they're virtual patients, is a really important thing that normally we don't go through at medical or nursing school. You know, you start by sitting there reading a textbook. Things have not moved on a lot in the last 20, 50 uh, you know, 500 years of medical education. Oh, maybe that's a bit harsh. All right, 50 years. Um, <laughs> it's still about reading books to pass exams. And so it's going, all right, that's, that's fine. And passing exams and being, you know, quote unquote, intelligent is fine because you've got the knowledge. But right now, you can get the knowledge off, off Google or off up to date if you've got the way of doing things. It's about being able to, to communicate engage, feel empathetic with people and make decisions based on all that kind of information coming in. And that takes the ability to deal with a lot of stress. You know, you're dealing with huge numbers of inputs at the same time as a doctor or a nurse. And the only way to get better at that isn't to learn, isn't to pass exams. It's to practice and do it over and over and over again. And yeah, you know, I mean, so I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here in terms of VR, yeah. but that is what we do. No, it's great. So how um, how fast do you think this is going to catch on and, and how how are you guys distributing this? So, I mean, in terms of it catching on, we are already in over, yeah, hundreds of institutions around the world. So we started off in London. We've now got offices in London, in Boston. We're just setting up a Canadian office as well. And we work with hospitals and universities all around the world to be able to do this. So, and that's been, you know, a, a really rapid increase over the last year, couple of years or so, really driven a lot by COVID, you know, which is sad to say. But as we all mm -hmm. know in VR, it has driven people to be approaching experiences in a different way and to say, well, actually, I value 
a human connection. I value the ability to be somewhere that I can't physically get to. And therefore, VR becomes a natural solution for some of these ways of doing it. Um, so how quickly will it catch on? It's basically already there. You know, you speak to a lot of these institutions and there's still this sense of VR is the future. And it's a question of saying to them, well, actually, guys, it's now. You can do this right <laughs> now. Um, yeah. And therefore, it's a question now of, of scaling that to everyone, of getting that education out there. The ability to say to people, you know what, like, you can just pop in VR, go to, go to VR chat, have a talk with someone there. To get that sense of presence it is, mm -hmm. is huge for people. And two years ago, we'd speak to people and, you know, 60% of people would never have tried VR. They would have heard about it. They would have said, I've been in a cardboard, I felt sick, it was rubbish. Nowadays, most people have tried something. You know, 80 or yeah. so percent of people have been in VR. And that makes our jobs a lot easier because they get the value of virtual reality. They get the value of presence and immersion, even if they don't know the terminology. They get it because they've emotionally right. uh, caught up with it. Yeah. And therefore, suddenly it just becomes a, okay, yeah, what's the content you put in there? And that's kind of what we're doing. So I, I did see a study once with doctors that doctors were shown how to do a procedure and like 20% of them could go do the procedure after they were told how. But they learned it in VR, and about 93% of them could go do the procedure after they watched it in VR. Right. And, and, and I think heard? there's a, yeah, there's a couple of interesting things about that. I think one is that A, the evidence is absolutely out there. And, the, you know, the studies that you're talking about, that one in particular is on uh, procedures. There's also studies that show if you teach procedures, such as putting a central line in, when you put a line in someone's neck to make sure they've got all the fluid that they need, um, that will not only teach people quicker, but that will correspond to how they perform in practice and therefore patient care and cost savings. So, you know, that, that, um, that evidence is out there across everything that we do in VR, whether you're focusing on procedures, whether you're focusing on decision-making, however mm -hmm. it fits together. Um, but I think the other thing is is about that difference in, you know, you've touched on it there. That one is a is a procedural way of doing things, teaching people with with your hands. It's muscle memory, but mm -hmm. you can also teach people about mental muscle memory, the rehearsal of doing something again and again, or communication muscle memory, the ability to communicate in a certain way and reinforce that, and all of those different ways of doing it is incredibly valuable depending on what you're trying to teach. Um, but, mm -hmm. but, you know, you're, you're right. There are studies out there that show VR works. And it works in medicine. It works in essentially everything where you want to train people because it's just learning from experience. It's not, it's not rocket surgery. It's just saying, let's deliver an experience in a different way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that was... Uh really interesting i didn't expect it to be or obviously i kind of expected it to be the procedure type of thing but i i really am interested by your take on it because obviously you are a doctor and know what's kind of more needed uh for other doctors so that's kind of an interesting uh setup that you know would be more known to an actual doctor so i was kind of curious what would be an example of like a scenario, like what would be the number one scenario you guys are running and whatnot as an example to the rest of us to kind of get what is what you're making here? Yeah. Okay. So 
I guess I'll move away from the procedural side of things because that I think people right, understand. Right. You know, you practice a procedure and you go on to do it. I'll give you an example of one of our scenarios in terms of the the complexity of what doctors and nurses do every day that we need to be teaching in. So you are playing the. It's essentially a you know it's a first, it's a first person shooter what we do apart from without the guns. <laughs> um, but you're you as first person you are playing the role the doctor or the nurse when you go into this scenario and you see uh let's let's call it a nursing scenario in this case you're the nurse going in to see a patient you have a um an assistant there with you who's you know ai controlled avatar who's a who you're able to speak to ask questions essentially um and you see a patient and the patient is in front of you on the bed and the whole point is that you have to work through taking a history so you're asking them about why they've come in, what's going on. And they tell you they've got a bit of chest pain. They tell you they're kind of sweaty, clammy. And you can see them. You can see that they are breathing fast. They're sweaty. You know, they're, they're looking a little bit panicky. And we built all of those systems into the platform because that's what makes people stressed. It's those things that make you go, oh, that guy looks sick. Um, and that's yeah. something that we do intuitively every day as doctors and nurses, but actually it's great to be able to do that in VR. So they take a history. They kind of find out what's going on. And being a being a doctor in particular, but also being a nurse, uh, you're kind of investigating. It's being like you're a detective. You're asking questions to find out the diagnosis. So, you know, you're going, okay, in your mind, you're thinking while this scenario is going on, you're thinking, could it be? a blood clot in the lungs? Could it be asthma? Could it be a heart attack? How could all this be fitting together? And you're doing examinations to find that out. So you can then take your stethoscope and have a listen to the chest, you know, hear whether there's crackles on the lungs and you're interpreting that information that's coming back in. That's all adaptive, so it'll change depending on what you've done in the scenario. Um, and then you do investigations. So you do blood tests uh, or, or taking a, a EKG on that patient, find out what's going on there, holding all of that information in your mind and again forming the list of kind of di diagnoses that it could be and then you're working with your team you're phoning the doctors to get orders for different medications you're looking at their past medical history to find out what's going on you're asking your assistant to help you out with different elements and it's all of those elements it's not just what you do as a person it's how you work with the patient how you communicate with them how you work with your team and how you bring all of those different elements together to give that patient the best care that you can do. Um, and then, you know, in a nursing scenario, the doctor will prescribe medications, for example, over the phone. Again, completely adaptive. There's no set course through this. Everything changes, adapts, depending on what you're doing. There's your physiology engines, so the patient's blood pressure goes up, down, um, all different kinds of things happening in the background to this. But then at the end of the scenario, you know, you know, if you're treating the patient correctly, they will get better. They will say they, they get better. They will look better. Their vital signs will all get better. Or if you screw up, you can kill them. And it's weird. You yeah. get senior doctors in there. They just love killing the patients. Weird, weird group of guys. <laughs> um, but, it, but it is that sense of, yeah, you know what? Sure, we'll just do this. We'll give an anaphylactic patient, you know, we'll, we'll give them some penicillin and see what happens. Oh, they're dead. Yes, mate, they are dead. That's what happens in this scenario. <laughs> So um, can you, you, can you keep track of this so that you're, you, you know which doctors are or which medical students are not that good at being a doctor so you can 
So we, we don't do it. We don't do it quite as sinisterly as that. But yeah. So at the at the end of every scenario, everything that you're doing in that scenario is being tracked. So it's being logged. It's being tagged. It's being time stamped. And so we give the person who's been through that scenario incredibly detailed feedback based on everything that they've done. And we give them links out to learning so they can go and discover why it was wrong and why it was right and what to do. But as you say, all of that is provided then to their to their faculty, to the head of the hospital, et cetera. And we make all this very, very clear to them as they go in so that yeah. we can track, you know, people who are doing really well, but also people who aren't doing so well and they really value it. You know, mm. people who aren't doing well tend to know it and tend to want to improve. And so there is total transparency with what we do in terms of this is a partnership between us and you as a doctor, and we will help you improve by giving you these experiences. And people respond really well to that. Yeah. um, I'm thinking, so like Flight Simulator, we could play that and think we're a pilot now. Can we play this and become doctors? So, so you you joke, but um, quite a few people on our team who don't have a clinical background have been through the scenarios. And in the end, if you practice enough, you can get past ninety percent. You can be really good at these scenarios. Uh, and then it's a question of, all right, you get a breadth of scenarios, and provided you become really, really good at every single one of our scenarios, I'd love to see how these people do on award. I'd absolutely love to see it. Sadly, ethically. Not a good idea, but it would be interesting <laughs> to find out. But it's kind of the same scenario. Like the only reason you're going to fly the plane is if you absolutely had to in an emergency. Oh, yeah. Actually, that would be so cool hmm. if on one of those like planes where they're like, is there anyone a doctor? And no one stands up. You're like, well, I've done this scenario a lot of times. Like, all right, step yeah. up. And I've played flight simulator. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You, you've got the two sides of the same coin. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know what? We, we've got to do that. We've got to do that in-flight emergency one. I'll put that on the list of scenarios yet to build. Ooh. We'll get our artists on Ooh. the case. Yeah. Perfect. There you go. Love it. That would actually talk about stressful someone's. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do it. The yeah. pilot. But it is, you know, you know but it is like <laughs> you, you mentioned flight simulator. It's exactly the same idea. That is what we're doing. You know, flight simulators, they crash. 300 people die. In medicine, yeah. if you make a mistake, one person can die. And I, you know, I've made mistakes as a doctor that have caused harm. And that is a, you know, it's a difficult thing to go through as a doctor. It is an awful thing to go through as the patient and their family. And it's mm. that impact that you think if, if we stop one mistake being made, you know, mistakes, I, I feel like this is a bit of a, a sales pitch I'm suddenly giving you now. It's 100% not meant <laughs> to be. It's just something I care about. Um, is that the medical error, the mistakes that we make as doctors and nurses, are the third leading cause of death in hospital in the U.S. Before mm-hmm. uh, That was before COVID, wow. probably fourth leading now. But it's a huge problem. And so it's actually, if you can begin to improve any element of care, you can genuinely impact the way patients are cared for. And that's, that's the yeah. point of what we do. You know, it's about actually improving patient care rather than teaching people about facts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense and so uh, you ready for the oh yeah go for it go ahead well I I was about to say are you ready for the worst transition ever because now that we're on a kind of a low note of like the uh, where things can go wrong I was kind of curious going back uh, like 
you mentioned these things that doctors are doing that aren't necessarily ideal, and sometimes they know they're not ideal. Um, I was kind of curious if there was a particularly funny uh, scenario that you witnessed where they just did something just like, uh, you know, someone's got chest pains and they're like, oh, we got to amputate the leg or something, you know, anything <laughs> like that. Um, probably nothing, nothing quite that bad. But I won't mention his name, but it was a, it was a chap. We were in the US. We were in California. I can't remember where now. It was a couple of years ago. He was the man who had written the guidelines on how to treat sepsis, you know, how to treat someone who's got, got an infection. And mm -hmm. He went into one of our scenarios, did everything perfectly, and then gave an antibiotic the patient was allergic to, and they died. Ooh, and I yeah. just thought, oh, mate, it was, it was super awkward. Um, but he took it very well. He took it very well. He said, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I did. I did. I killed that guy. And I thought, good man. <laughs> Good man. And it's about that sense of people appreciating everyone screws up and it's okay as long as you learn from it. So that's probably, we've never had someone accidentally amputating by mistake with a rogue scalpel, but hey, it's only a matter of time. <laughs> but yeah, anybody listening to this should, should love the fact that, you know, if, if they're going to make that mistake, make it in VR. Right. Right. You know, but, as, yeah. as a patient, uh, it's exactly like the flight simulator. As a patient, I would want my doctor to have seen someone pretty much exactly like me before they ever see me coming through. And I would want them to have made their mistakes in virtual reality and not on me. Mm -hmm. And that is really, you know, that's the value of being able to do this in virtual reality is scaling yeah. clinical experience so that we don't we don't harm you or your gran, you know. And it, yeah, and it's so much better than a textbook or a, watching a video. But I'm curious where you, there there have to be things that you're looking forward to. What's what's the next big step? What's the what's the future of this? I think you know some of it is just that sense of scale. It's that sense of going. At the moment, it's the forward thinking institutions that get this and are pushing it forward. Over time, that is going to be everyone. People are going to get this across the board. And it's that sense of, you know, getting it to the UK and US, mainly as we do at the moment. It's going to be getting it to the areas of, you know, rural Bangladesh. And I appreciate, you know, VR hardware has got a way to go until we can get out there very easily. But we'll get there. And that sense of creating an impact at scale, massive. Um, mm. But I think from a technological standpoint, you know, the big things for us are, elements like how do you make the scenarios fully real so at the moment you know they, they they're, they're great they're immersive they're engaging but how do you keep on getting that sense of realism mm -hmm. um, and therefore how do you build in communication skills so really really high quality voice recognition natural language processing to be able to teach people how to break bad news you know i, I used to work in oncology i have seen people people being told news that they've got cancer incredibly badly. And if we can teach people to do that with voice recognition and NLP in a way that stops that happening, then that'll be massive. Um, you know, hand control, definitely coming a long way. We're doing a lot of AI in terms of how the characters develop, how the characters interact with you. Uh, facial mocap to get that sense of genuine kind of emotional engagement, particularly in psychiatric scenarios, that ability to recognize someone who is, who is low, who is depressed, who's schizophrenic, 
all of that happens in the face, and those elements of it layered on top of what we've already got are, are exciting. Um, and yeah. other than that, I mean, we're doing a load of stuff in, in multiplayer. So that ability to see how people interact in a multiplayer scenario, uh, like we do now when, you know, I'm not a raccoon or whatever I am, and you're not a donut, <laughs> but actually we look like each other, is, is amazing to see how people engage in that scenario. So there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff in terms of the, the communication, a lot in terms of the hand control, a lot in terms of the AI and analytics that we get out of it that's going on. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's going to be, there's, there's lots of areas. And as you see, I get overexcited about these things. So I'm just going to try and say huge numbers of areas that it's going to be exciting in. Agree. We get excited about it too. I mean, we're not doctors, but, but we think this is b between medical and military. I think those are huge areas where VR should be everywhere. And, you know, there's, there's similar ways of doing it between the two of them. It's, it's that same idea of, yeah, mate, get in there and experience it. And, and I think from an education point of view, it's always what's the problem that you're trying to solve. And something like this is, is such a clear problem. It is doctors and nurses are doing their best, but are killing people. And therefore, how do we do that and be able to improve that and decrease that error? In the military, it's we need to teach people to be able to not get shot by the enemy, and we need to do that in ways that are repeatable. Similar ways of thinking, but it's just, as you say, a very clear use case for how we can do things yeah. in VR. So you personally, what, what got you into VR initially? So, yeah, I, I had a slightly long and rambling journey through life. Um, I, <laughs> so, you know, I did... Um, I did uh, nursing for a couple of years. Off the back of that, did medicine, went through medical school. And even while going through medical school, thought, this isn't really teaching me how to take care of patients. It's making me you know, good and good at passing the exams, but how do I deal with that? And then got on the wards and really realized that again, that gap between training and practice. And thinking, okay, how do we, how do we bridge that gap? How do we give people experiences? How do we give people information when they need it? Um, and therefore, I set up this uh, open access online platform called Oxford Medical Education. I was at Oxford at the time and set it up with the Oxford Medical School faculty. Um, that was a website with video content, 360 degree videos, etc. Um, and that did really well internationally. You know, all, all free, people engaging with it because it didn't give them difficult information. It just said, if it's, you know, Example, if it's three in the morning and you're on the ward and see someone who's gasping for breath, what do you do in that situation? As a doctor, what do you do to manage it? And so people were going in and looking at this. We've had people the world over, people in Bangladesh, learning how to put in a chest tube by looking on this kind of stuff. And it was from that that it was then, okay, if you were to start from scratch and think, what is the best way of training doctors and nurses? How would you do it? So I didn't come from the VR perspective, first of all. I came from the medical education okay. perspective. And this was so four years ago. Not, I mean, I, I, don't get me wrong. I loved gaming. I'd done a little bit of VR before. But actually, it was two totally different elements that got me into it. And I was just thinking, what's the best way of training doctors and nurses? And my co-founder, who's a guy called Mike, who I've known since I was eight, uh, his background 
was in kind of complex app development, running big technical teams, uh, that whole side of it. Definitely not my background. Um, and we sat down and thought, okay, what, what do we do? You know, do you do, do you do videos? Do you do 360 video? Do you do AR or do you do VR? And it was just the time that the, that the rift was kind of coming into its own. And we thought, well, let's give this a shot. Um, and that was, that was four years ago. Um, and so it's been then kind of developing a prototype, taking it through clinical trials, then building up the team, building out the new platform and developing from there. But it was always from the side of medical education rather than the side of VR. And now, I, I mean, I, I love VR across everything. I spend most of my time in it. My wife would tell you, very disappointed in me, but it, it's great. It's a great way of learning. <laughs> what else do you spend your time doing in VR other than educating and oh, I mean, I mean, Half-Life Alex. I worked my way through over a, over a good period of time. That basically made most of my month a couple of months ago, um, which I appreciate. I was late on the uptake to Half-Life Alex, but love that. Um, other than that, bit of Asgard's Wrath, not so sure about it, but general that kind of gaming. Haven't done much VR chat, actually, um, but Medal of Honor on Friday, I'll definitely be there. I mean, it clearly shows that I have no life in London locked down. I'm <laughs> genuinely looking forward to Medal of Honor <laughs> coming out <laughs> that is going to be big we'll see i, yeah, I feel like fun. i'm trying to sell that to you now as well god what is wrong with me um no. i think it's multiplayer and single player i don't know yeah, yeah. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with you you just need to get on commissions that's the main thing you gotta get on their list yeah you're right thanks for that i'll, I'll get in <laughs> touch with them straight after this we've, we've had a talk before of course just wanted to make sure yeah if you can back me off in that call that'd be appreciated yeah yeah, yeah. we'll send you the <laughs> yeah, clip yeah Cool. Okay, perfect. <laughs> One thing I was curious about is just bringing it back to the stuff you're developing. I was wondering if it had like, so it sounds really promising and interesting and all that, but I was curious if you were able to, like, how much of an impact have you been seeing? Because I would imagine you'd be able to see kind of a night and day difference between like, these 20 doctors didn't experience the VR thing before it came out. These 20 did. What do their, you know, what does their bedside manner look like in this group versus this group? Uh, just, I guess the question is, how drastic an improvement are you seeing? Are you able to tell, like, the, the amount of difference it makes? Ah, uh, Mr. Donut, that is a big question. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Yes. I mean, A, we, we have evidence to show that it improves practice from, you know, so, to scenario to scenario, that people learn as they would do um, in real life, and that we are working across a huge number of institutions and individuals. And I think part of that evidence is, yes, you need the, you need the academic evidence to show that, as you're saying, you do improve performance. But you also need that evidence to be able to show you know how to implement something. You know how to integrate it in a system and you know how to expand it within that system. It's those elements of evidence that I think people often struggle with that you know, we're, we're very much doing. Uh, and the evidence from learners, the evidence of working with learners and going, yep, this hits our needs. We engage with this. This meets what we're looking for. So that's kind of how I think of evidence, the academic side of it, the implementation side of it and the user side of it. But in answer to your question of, do we see how it's changing practice in real life? The answer to date is that the studies have not been done. And that is because they are massive, 
both in terms of size, in terms of organization, but also in terms of ethics. You know, it's very difficult to put 20 doctors mm. through VR, 20 doctors not through VR, and throw them into a scenario that genuinely assesses what they've been through and be able to tease mm-hmm. out the differences there. Um, so it's yeah. more of the ethical, logistical considerations that make that transfer of learning to practice VR to real life harder. It's easier in surgery. You know, and in surgery, there are there is really good evidence for this because surgical VR has been going for longer than medical VR because it's kind of simpler, you know, procedural, haptics, essentially, you're doing one task. Um, and so that evidence exists in terms of decreased training times, in terms of increased speed of operations in general, increased patient safety. Um, but in what we're doing in kind of medical and nursing VR, as such, so far, no studies I know exist to show how that improves performance on the wards. Um, and right. I would say, you know, simulation, kind of what we're talking about is VR simulation, but physical simulation, so training doctors, you know, we already train doctors by providing these experiences. We already try and give them, um, you know, we teach them how to pass exams, but then we, we teach them in with mannequins in big simulation centers. You've got these high-fidelity mannequins that look like people um, that you know, can move, that can kind of have a seizure if you want them to, um, and doctors practice around them uh, and then go and debrief and talk about what happened in that fake scenario. That way of training people already exists, and there's some, but not a lot of evidence that that actually improves practice in the real world, and yet everyone knows that it does. Everyone goes, clearly this is the best way of training, even if we've got relatively limited evidence of how that impacts patients. Um, So I think VR, we've got a bit of a way to go. We'll get there, but it doesn't exist quite yet in the way that I would like it to and in the way that you're asking about yeah, I I guess I meant more in like a general like before and after kind of feel thing. It definitely makes sense from a study standpoint what you're saying. The hyper specific scenarios having to be monitored and paralleled between all these different sets of doctors. So it makes total sense what you're yeah. saying. But yeah, I, I yeah. just kind of wondered if there was like a set of uh, doctors in the class before we introduced those. Here's the one after, and just I was just more curious if there's a feel the higher-ups had about, like, the improvement, but, yeah. No, yeah, totally what, what I've done there is I've answered your really simple question with a ridiculously complex answer. The simple I liked answer it, is... Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, the simple answer is, yeah, it does exist. So um, we've done a study with University College London, shows improvement from one performance to the next to be able to show, yeah, they, they improve all of their elements of care that make a difference to the patient, so kind of how you treat them. And that exists kind of within VR to be able to say, yep, tick, this does work. But the biggest studies are yet to come. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's all really, really cool stuff. Um, Yeah. It's exciting. All right. Well, I think that's about good for this segment. Is there anything you would like to shout out or plug? I don't think from my side. I mean, obviously, I'm one meager person who knows very little about VR representing a company which is it's a fantastic place to be if people are interested in getting into VR doing good look at what we're doing at OMS it is a I hope a lovely place to work and we've got an absolutely wonderful team so I think you know shout out to the team across everything in terms of VR 
artists, animators, riggers, all the devs, and in terms of the clinical team, the people who write the scenarios, in terms of the educational specialists who go out there and work with people on the ground, the R&D team. All of them. It's a wonderful group of people. So if you are looking for something, get in touch with us, and we'll, we'll see what we can do. But that's it from that's my great. side. And we'll, we'll just share any link that you send us in the, in the video on YouTube and on the podcast, normal podcast channels. They'll, they'll find you. Perfect. Yeah, yeah and if, if you're interested out there, um, OxfordMedicalSimulation.com is the website. Google it. You'll be able to find us. See what we do and link out from there. Very good. Perfect. Well, well thanks, thanks so for much for joining us. Absolute pleasure. No, thank you for having me. It's been, it's been great and surreal to be here. All right. Well, thanks to Jack Pottle for joining us. He was a lot of fun to have on. Funny guy. I didn't know they made uh, my seizure Barbies, the big training mannequins, but I don't think I'll Only be in buying one for myself. <laughs> I guess we've chatted about the medical stuff. Maybe we should move into a more broad option for first part, second part with all science inventions for VR, science applications for VR. What do you think? I like it. Yeah, let's do it. This would be a VR science invention for this year. Is that the idea? Sure. Or does it have to be VR? It always has to be VR. Okay, well, yeah. Second part. Okay, here we go. Musical taser baton. Whoa, I like it. I have no idea what it is yet. Same. Yeah, I'm interested. Musical taser baton. A science Mm. thing in VR. Okay, so science can be boring to some people. Why not spruce it up with a little music so that when you when you are interested in anything in your VR, like if if you tap this meteor that we're standing on, you, you can get all the info on this meteor. You can get all the sciencey mm. data that you want on it, but it also plays a meteor related tune, which I don't know what that would be except maybe two thousand and one Space Odyssey. Yeah, maybe it's that it plays uh, educational music the whole time. Anytime you tap the meteor, it's singing you a jingle about how it works. And like if you, it. yeah, if if you tap the the wood fence over there, it'll come up and it'll say, "This is wood. It comes from trees." Do you need more information than that? And <laughs> That's it, all I need. And it and it will play a song about trees which I'm not sure what that is yet. Yeah, no, yours is definitely more educational. I immediately went to Beat Saber because it just kind of mixes both things. But for the addition to it, it was that if you miss a note, it tases you. So you never want to miss a note again, you know? Right. Important. Yeah, so. the taser, <laughs> I didn't really have the taser in there in my Yeah. Yeah, I didn't maybe, have the... maybe if you tap something that's really simple like wood, it'll tase you for asking about something that you should already know. Mm, there you go. Yeah, no backtracking. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. I've got Next. a second. I mm. think. Yeah, I do. All right. Supersonic vision. Hmm. So are that's we like perfect. Bats? Well, supersonic vision, that's true. Ooh, that would actually be kind of cool. So what if, so it'd be a little bit 
weird because you're oh actually okay no i'm formulating something kind of cool so you so the surround sound of vr is really really nice i've always really liked it if someone's shooting you from behind you to the right you can tell right and so yeah you are maybe you're like actual batman not like the batman we know batman was bitten by a bat (laughs) kind of batman and you're trying to navigate with sonar you and the part you get to visualize is these little green rings happen you get to like make little noises or whatever and you see these little green rings project out from wherever the walls are so you can kind of navigate Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So what I was seeing was, I don't know how the supersonic part comes into play. You can help me with that. But it makes sense for VR that if you're trying to see something like we've got space out here around us, and if you wanted to go like all of a sudden telescope vision and you wanted to see that, that group of stars out there, you could suddenly zoom in like a thousand or three thousand times on something you could go microscope vision on things and Mm -hmm. i think that would be a cool thing anyway just when you're in some space that you you could see a bug and then you could see a bug that's on the bug yeah i but where does the supersonic part come in well so that's kind of what i was realizing i think so supersonic i just kind of ignored the super just was thinking in terms of like (laughs) sound because supersonic would just be faster than sound and light travels faster than sound anyway so you're already there Uh, i just kind of ignored it for mine so so it's actually kind of redundant name but (laughs) yours works for it more than mine yeah this should be a vr thing though right maybe it is i've never seen it okay Uh, all right last one okay so we have to get a little more invention-y on this one because we've been <laughs> uh, neglecting that part. But that's okay because we've nailed it. We've got at least a couple check marks of the different categories we got. So we're doing okay. But yeah, second part. Okay. Um, then I'm going to take first and third. Oh, no. Okay. I'm breaking all the rules. Yeah, do it. Hornet. Stimulator machine <laughs> all right <laughs> okay so my thought is just with the the way that they fly and that you should be able to fly like them but that has nothing to do with a stimulator machine so yeah go ahead so mine, so I'm still getting a couple check boxes, but for mine, I'm losing the VR check box because uh, you have those murder hornets we heard about because mm-hmm. 2020 and uh, to get them away from, you know, the bees or get them away from, you know, just to make sure you know where they are and can take them anywhere else. You uh, lure them in with the hornet stimulator machine and Mm -hmm. it's just a trap for the murder hornets so it's a trap it's a trap yep so okay if if i was gonna go vr this this is gonna not check all the boxes either but 
it for somebody like me who is allergic to, to those hornet stings that this could be something for mm. uh, for medical simulation uh, if somebody is stung what do you do uh, yeah. whether you are the person that is getting stung and you have to do it on your own or if you're trying to see how do you how do you react to situations where somebody is stung? That could be one of many different things that happens. And then it's it's a scenario that for like home medical simulations, and one of them is is stings. And there's several things you can do depending on how the person is responding to their sting. Nice. I like it. You brought it all together. Good job. Good job. Back to you, Jack Pottle. <laughs> I did realize that... You know, we used to do all the behind the scenes on posts and stuff, but, you know, we don't need to talk about the behind the scenes on every post ever because there's not always a behind the scenes. But you did a Christmas song that was pretty good. Did you have anything you wanted to mention for that one? Um, no, just I like playing piano. I, I Sometimes a song comes to me. Most of it is usually just musical. It's not usually words. And, and that one did come to me. And uh, so it was just kind of fun to get it out there. Uh, the only kind of backstory about it would be I, I thought it was done. And then I reached out to a friend of mine who's a music composer. And he gave me a couple of tips that I thought were helpful. So I redid it with those in there. And then you put together the animation, which was nice. And, um, and all together, I, I'm hoping... Yeah, this is something that a uh, if if anybody out there knows a country band or musician that wants to record it professionally and put it out there, I think this could be huge. But it, to me, it sounds very much like a song that should be sung by a a country singer. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So maybe you'll hear it next year in the malls if we can get somebody to to record it professionally. <laughs> yeah yeah or I, I mean i thought the way you did it was good too so oh i liked it i was happy with it. Interesting. Yeah. well i guess it is the new year's so we should probably wrap it up with resolutions do you have anything that comes to mind for that well my resolution in terms of the meteor and the the station is the game we've we've talked about putting together a, a game show and we're experimenting with that right now. And uh, Patreons would be able to participate in those sooner than other people. But that is the, that's my main goal other than finishing the animation, the short animation. But I think it will be fun if we could get a game show that we do either weekly or at least monthly and do it on, put it on Twitch and have uh, prizes and the whole thing. Yeah, no, that's an awesome one. That'll be great. And just for those at home, he's referring to the What Did I Just Watch movie for that short animation. So anyone that liked those shorts before, which should be everyone because they're the best for people that are into insane person humor. Um, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, so that's the uh, big animation we're working on currently. But yeah, I guess for my own, it would be just getting a bunch of content done. So getting the, you know, scary short done and the 
near future, which uh, that's how I keep referring to it, but it's called Canyon Falls and get the Over Our Heads episode done. And then uh, I guess in addition to uh, those being near future stuff, we've got further out things, but I'll get to those later. But I also have, or we also have a board game that is nearing mm. completion. So look forward to hearing more about that. That'll be pretty fun. So yeah, just getting a bunch of stuff done. Yeah, sounds so, good. Happy 2021 to you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciated. And happy 2021 to you, Internet. Anything you want to say on the way out, Gruen? Or should we let these people go back to their quarantine? I just, uh, I think I'll just scream on the way out. Okay, perfect. Right. right. Catch you guys in February. <laughs> yeah.